You know, we've been diving deep for several weeks now in this reality of, of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. We're not just going to be satisfied with one Easter Sunday this year. We're, we're, we're taking all the, the Sundays of the Easter season to sort of take this truth and look at it as if you had found some old heirloom or a precious jewel that you had, but you kind of have sort of neglected it. You've not, you've not really appreciated it. And we're, we're taking it down and we're looking at it from every facet. So on Easter Sunday, we looked at the story in John's Gospel. We looked at the events of that resurrection morning through the eyes of those who were there. And we looked at what they saw, what they believed, and the difference it made in how they lived. And then the next week, we looked at the New Testament evidence for the resurrection. What is the rationale for believing in a literal, bodily, risen Jesus Christ? You know, there's, there's great evidence that the New Testament writers lay out for us. And then last week, we discovered the importance of this truth. Why does it matter that we believe that Jesus rose from the grave? How does that make a difference in our lives and in our world that the tomb still is empty and Jesus lives? Easter is special because of the empty tomb. It's because of the remarkable message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the grave alive to never die again. Another way to think about it is this. Everyone dies. Right? Jesus died on the cross, but guess what? Everyone dies. In fact, on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago, three men died on three crosses. What makes Jesus special, what sets Him apart from all others, is He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave to never die again. He lives and reigns to this day, and He's coming back again. The resurrection affirms for us who Jesus is, what He came to do, and what difference does this make for how we live our lives today and in the days to come. But this morning I want us to think about how Easter answers the age-old question. Is there life after death? Is there life after death? Or is this all there is? When you die, is that the end of you? Or is there something more beyond? And Easter gives us a definitive answer that yes, there is an existence beyond this life. Yes, once someone dies, they can come back from death. Yes, death has had its day. And the sun is setting on its reign. That's what Easter tells us. There is life after death. Life does not get the final word. Death does not get the final word. Life is the final word. Death's turn is nearly over. And what comes after that is beyond our wildest dreams. So I want us to think about this. I want us to think about three realities of life after death has lost its power. Life after death has lost its power. And I don't think there are th any better words to express this reality than the three words of faith, hope, and love. So let's think about that. And, and first of all, I want us to think this morning about the faith that we can have in God's triumph. We can have faith in God's triumph. Pastor John Stott famously said, We live and die. Christ died and lives. It's a world-changing truth that on Maundy Thursday, Jesus was the suffering servant, but on Easter Sunday, He was the risen Savior. On Good Friday, Jesus seemed to be the victim, but on Easter Sunday, we know He is and always has been and always will be the victor. 
Jesus, first of all, is victorious over sin and death. First of all, He's victorious over sin and death. Now, last week we looked at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians about the reality and the implication of Jesus' resurrection. I want us to go back and look at a few of those, one of those verses in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament. He says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And Paul answers. He says, The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection from the tomb, first of all, it overcomes the power of sin. It overcomes sin. In Romans 8, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of Christ gives us a new law. See, we, we were under this law, under this order, this rule of sin and death. Because we sin, because we break God's law, because we transgress against a holy God, death reigns in our lives and in our world, and everyone will face death. That's that law. But Paul says, because Jesus, He paid the price for our sins, He fulfilled God's law perfectly, He then submitted to death and defeated it by rising from the grave, because of that, we no longer have to be subject to the law of sin and death. We have a new order that we get to live under, the Spirit of life. That's our law. We are set free from death's power because death had no power over him. Michelangelo, the great Renaissance thinker and and artist and, and painter, he once rebuked his contemporaries for their artistic depictions of Jesus. He said this, he said, Why do you always paint Jesus on the cross? Why do you not rather paint him standing at the empty tomb? Why do you always paint Him the victim? Why do you not rather paint Him the victor? Jesus is the victor over sin, over death, over the grave. Jesus even said to His disciples before His crucifixion, uh, early on in John chapter 10, verse 18, He says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus was no victim. He might have seemed like a victim to the world that day. He might have seemed like a victim to His disciples that day. But Easter Sunday shows us Jesus was no victim. He was and is the victor. And guess what? As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I aren't victims either. There are no victims in this room. No victims of fear. No victims of suffering. No victims of temptation and sin. None of us can blame the devil made me do it. We are not victims. We are victors. In fact, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory over sin and someday over death. But secondly, Jesus is also victorious over His enemies, all His enemies. I want you to imagine, if you can, the the astonishment and the frustration of the Romans and the Jewish authorities 
after they put Jesus to death, right? They were tired of him. He was a threat to them. He was a nuisance to them. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to silence his followers. So they put him to death. And imagine the astonishment and frustration when they just a few days later begin to hear multiple reports of mass sightings of this Jesus that they thought they got rid of. He's appearing to people. He's talking to people. He's eating with people. He appears to 500 people all at once. And the word is spreading that Jesus rose from the dead. How do you defeat an enemy that you can't keep in the grave? How do you defeat someone that won't stay dead? Jesus was victorious over His enemies. Jesus warned them about this, by the way. He warned them of the implications when they crucify Him of what was going to happen, He said in John 8, 28 and 29, when you, He's talking to the religious leaders, He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, talking about on the cross, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases Him. In other words, he's saying that God the Father will vindicate Him, God the Son, when He dies on the cross by raising Him victorious from the grave, proving once and for all that Jesus was exactly who He claimed to be. Paul explained how Jesus' resurrection was a victory. Not just over those conspirators that day who who punished him and tortured him and put him to death on the cross. No, he was victorious over all the powers and authorities of the world. I read this last week in in Colossians 2.15. Paul says that Jesus disarmed. You think about disarming someone. You think about an army being disarmed, right? You're removing their weapons. He disarmed the powers and authorities. Then he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. By a method of Roman crucifixion. Now, this is a popular image that Paul is using here. It's the image of Caesar riding victorious through the streets of Rome with the defeated Gauls or the defeated you know, Egyptians or the defeated whoever behind him. He's got some nation that he has won a victory against or, or a city or an empire he's defeated and he's got their king and their leaders and their generals in shackles and he parades them through Rome while the crowds cheer. But Jesus didn't defeat the powers and rulers of this world with weapons. Jesus didn't come in and take their life. No, what He did was scandalous. It was shocking. It was beyond imagination. Jesus was victorious and disarmed them by His own death on the cross. He didn't take their life. He laid down His life. That's the scandal of the cross. And through that, Jesus was victorious and disarmed all of those powers all the powers of evil and sin, all the powers of this man-made world that are corrupt. Jesus was victorious over them and made a public spectacle of them. Jesus was victorious over His enemies. And finally, Jesus was victorious in His mission. In His mission. Listen, the cross did not catch God by surprise. The crucifixion and resurrection were not some plan B. You know, that if the Jewish people rejected Him, if they didn't accept Him as their Messiah, if they didn't crown Him as King, well, there's always this. No. 
In fact, Jesus went out of His way to make sure they weren't going to crown Him as some king. Jesus made sure that He was going to die the death He died on the cross because guess what? That was always the plan. Jesus was born to die. This was always God's redemptive mission. Last week, we read uh, some of Peter's famous Pentecost sermon where he said, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. The cross was always where Jesus was headed. And so the resurrection is the capstone on the finished work of Christ, that He completed His mission. The work of Christ was now done and the work of the church was just beginning. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that because Jesus finished His work, because He is risen from the dead and ascended at the right hand of the Father, we have an advocate. We have an intercessor for us before the throne of God. Amen? Praise the Lord that because of the resurrection, we have the Holy Spirit living within us to remind us all that Jesus taught and to give us the power that we need to follow His commands. Praise God. Because of the resurrection, Jesus says that even though we will have trouble in this life, we can take heart. We can have courage because He has overcome the world. Because Christ has triumphed We can triumph too. Because He's victorious, we are victorious too when we put our faith and trust in Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14 that not only, get this, not only did Jesus parade around the powers and authorities as public spectacles, Paul tells us that thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. He leads us in a daily parade of victory in Jesus. So when your life feels like crucifixion Friday, when it feels like you're surrounded by enemies that are dogging you, when you feel like a failure, when you feel beaten down and worn out and at the end of your rope, remember Resurrection Sunday. Look to that empty cross and that empty tomb and remember you are more than conquerors through Jesus who loves you. We are not defeated and we are not victims. As we heard in our New Testament reading this morning, I love this passage. Paul says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. He says, we're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our bodies. Because death, failure, disease... Those don't get the final word. Life is the final word. Now, we're going to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians more fully next week. Today, I'm going to kind of focus on what the resurrection means for us after death. Next week, as we wrap this up, we're going to see what the resurrection means for us in this life, right now, today. How can we live in that resurrection power? But for now, I just want us to remember this powerful description of the victory that is ours. Because Jesus is victorious. We can have faith in God's triumph. Secondly, we can have hope. Hope for our resurrection. Hope for our resurrection. In 1488, Bartholomew Diaz discovered the dangerous cape of South Africa. And it was dangerous because these turbulent ocean currents from the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean all converge right there. And so Bartholomew named it the Cape of Storms. 
because there's lots of storms, lots of things going on there. Well, a few years later, Vasco da Gama sailed around that cape and charted a new trade course to India. And so when he came back to Portugal, da Gama reported to the king, he said, no longer will that cape be called the Cape of Storms. Now it will be called the Cape of Good Hope. Listen, on Friday and Saturday, that cross and tomb seemed like a cape of storms. It felt like that Jesus had failed. He was dead. All hope was lost. But on that third day, when He rose from the grave, that cross and tomb became symbols of good hope. In this life, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have troubles. Our, our bodies are fragile. They're still going to get sick and injured and die. We still have a sinful nature that's constantly at war with the image of Christ being formed in us. We still wrestle with questions and doubts and fears. We still lose jobs. Marriages still fail. People still die. This life can look like a cape of storms where the kingdom of God is turbulently at war with the dominion of darkness. But listen, Easter reminds us that Jesus was victorious. And as followers of Jesus, we share in that victory. It doesn't change the storminess of this life. It doesn't change this world that we live in, this sin-sick, broken world, but it gives us the right perspective that this world is not all there is. That there is more beyond this. Life with Christ is the reality of good hope. It is the cape of good hope because Jesus has been through the storm to the other side and He's come back to us to tell us that there is a way through it and what's on the other side of this storm is better than anything you can imagine. Watchman Nee was an early 20th century leader in the Chinese church. He said, Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Easter reminds us that what is to come is better than anything that has been. Resurrection hope isn't a pipe dream. Resurrection hope isn't even just something that is, is you know mentioned for the first time in the New Testament. Resurrection hope is as old as the oldest part of the Bible. And all scholars agree the book of Job is the oldest part of Scripture written, likely written around the time that Abraham lived. We're talking before, you know, Moses, before the Exodus, before any of that is the book of Job. And we heard in our, in our Old Testament reading in Job 19, verses 23 through 27, Job says this, Job says, I wish that my words were written down and they were recorded on a scroll. Well, guess what? They were. So good job, Job. Or inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. And here's what he wants written down and inscribed is this. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the end, He will stand on the dust. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet... In other words, after I die, after my body decays, Job says, yet I will see God in my flesh. Resurrection hope. I will see Him myself. My eyes will look at Him, not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. And then in, in uh, chapter 14, verses 14 through 17, he says, When a person dies, will he come back to life? Well, that's the question, isn't it? If so, I would wait all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. You would call and I would answer you. And you would long for the work of your hands, for then you would count my steps but would not take note of my sin. 
My rebellion would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. So here, Job, thousands of years before Jesus, in these two passages, he not only predicts the death of Jesus to pardon our sins, but the resurrection of Jesus, his Redeemer lives, and that not only can we be forgiven of sin in this life, we can be risen from the dead to praise and worship God forevermore. So from the oldest part of the Bible to the book of Revelation, the hope of resurrection and eternal life and life with God in heaven is there. Now Job had experienced unbelievable suffering and loss. Yet with his limited knowledge of God, remember Job had no Bible to read, had no Scripture to memorize. He had no salvation history of God working through the people of Israel and through the life and death of Jesus and through the early church. He didn't have any of that to look back on. Yet somehow he had knowledge and hope of resurrection and eternal life. Guess what? We also face struggles as Job did. We also face very real pain and the prospect of disease, loss, and death. But guess what we do have? We do have a Bible to look back on, don't we? We do have the witness of the church through the millennia to look back on. We do have the work of Jesus Christ to give us hope. We can look back at that cross and empty tomb. And that's why Easter enables us to do what Paul writes in Philippians 3. We can eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will do what? Will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. This is the promise, the hope that we can stand firm in in this life. Paul writes about this further in 1 Thessalonians 4, telling us that even in our grief, we can have hope. Even when we lose loved ones to death, we can mourn, we can grieve with hope. And why? What is the source of that hope? Why is it that we can grieve with hope when a loved one dies? Well, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. And when he talks about falling asleep in Jesus, he doesn't mean while he's preaching a sermon on Sunday morning. Make sure you all are awake. That's, that's, a, that's a euphemism for death. That for the Christian, when we die, it's as if, it's as if we're asleep because it's temporary. It's not permanent. It's not the end. Those eyes will open. That person will rise from the grave. We can grieve with hope after death because Jesus defeated death. He died and rose again. That is our greatest source of comfort and encouragement. That because Christ lives, so those who die in Christ will also live. And that's why Paul referred to Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We're going to follow in His footsteps. Sickness, suffering, death, these things are temporary. These things are passing away. We can hope in our resurrection because God's saving grace and resurrection power are made available to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection assures us that beyond death we can have life in the Lord's presence. Turn with me, if you will, to to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. I didn't put this on the screen because it's a lot of verses. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, meaning our, so our earthly tent, our body, is destroyed, we have a building, right? So a building is better than a tent. 
So Paul's saying if this tent that we live in now is destroyed, God's got a building. He's got even a better place for us. An eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent. You guys ever groan? Especially maybe first thing in the morning. (laughs) We groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. In other words, he's saying that when we have the Holy Spirit, that's a down payment for what's going to come later. That's even better. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident. And we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are... I'm sorry, I, I, I just can't keep going. Let's just go all the way through the book of 2 Corinthians, right? So what Paul is talking about is that one of these days, this body's going to die, but there's a better body awaiting you an eternal body that will never grow old, will never get sick, will never die. And we long for this. We groan for this. But the key thing here I want you to see is that he says that when we are not in this body anymore, we are at home with the Lord. You know what that tells me? That when this body dies, I immediately, my spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus in heaven. And didn't Jesus tell the thief on the cross today You will be with me in paradise. Not Sunday, not when I return. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, what this existence in heaven between death and resurrection looks like is a mystery. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about what it's like for our spirits outside of our bodies in heaven in the presence of God. But, it's sort of like what Kelly was saying, it's a better place. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with Jesus in His presence, and there's no sin, no suffering, no sickness, no fear, no death, and I am with those that I've loved that have gone before me, worshiping around the throne of God. So whatever that looks like to be in a spiritual state without a body in heaven doesn't matter to me because you know what? It sounds pretty good. And I am with the Lord in His presence. Now, I want to take a moment right here to say this, that when we die, we go to heaven, we do not become angels. I'm going to make that clear. You're not going to sprout wings and be a cute, chubby little cherub fluttering around naked. All right? That's not going to happen. Thank the Lord. Somebody told me earlier today, said, yeah, I wouldn't want to be an angel when I die because that's a demotion. Right? It's a prom- we, we, are, we are higher than the angels. And so that would be a demotion to become an angel. No, we are going to be in the presence of God People created in His image for whom Jesus died. But this is not the end. There is coming a day when Jesus will return to put death to death once and for all, to remove Satan and his spiritual forces of darkness for all of eternity, to judge the living and the dead, and to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles one more more place to Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. John says... 
We heard a little bit of this in our song this morning. The choir sang. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. The truth is, that is the end of the story. That is the end of this story. And it's the beginning of an entirely new story without sin, without sorrow, without death. A story that's only about life and love and peace and joy. A story in which there are no goodbyes, there are only hellos and eternal reunion forever. Amen? Amen. That's the story that awaits us. And we put our hope and our trust in the risen, reigning, returning Jesus. We can have faith in God's victory. We can find hope in our own future resurrection. And finally, quickly, we learn that love marks the transformed heart. Love marks the transformed heart. Let's think for just a few minutes today about what this means for us today. Not just tomorrow, but today. And like I said, we'll talk more about that next week. I want to point out three resurrection stories in the Gospels, other than Jesus's. Two are mentioned in Luke's Gospel, where Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son, and he raised Jairus' daughter. So in Luke 7, 15... It says the dead man, the this, this son of this widow woman from Nain, the dead man sat up, began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, that's a remarkable statement, that a dead man sat up and began to speak. Dead people don't typically do that, do they, Russell? I mean, that's not something that we see happen, right? Dead people don't talk either, unless Jesus shows up and interrupts the funeral. <laughs> There's no telling what's going to happen, right? When Jesus shows up. In Luke 8:55, he raises this 12-year-old girl from death. And it says, her spirit returned, she got up at once, and then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. She was hungry. So when Jesus interrupted this funeral, a girl stood up and ate food. Jesus laughed. The, lorner, the mourners left, and the girl's parents were astonished. Because dead people don't do that. Another story. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the grave. In John 11, it says that after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Again, dead people don't usually come walking out of graves. Dead people don't sit up. They don't talk. They don't walk. They don't eat. Are those signs of death or are those signs of life? Those are signs of life. And Jesus says in John 5, 24, that whoever hears His Word and believes in Him, rather than suffering condemnation, He says they will have crossed over from death to life. Paul says it this way, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
by God's grace. When you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, you are raised from spiritual death to abundant and eternal life. And guess what? You will give evidence of that life. You will give signs of that life. People should know that we live in Jesus because of the way we talk, because of the way we walk, because of the appetites that we have. We should look like living people in Christ, not dead people in sin. Paul said that if we're in Christ, we are new creations. The old has gone. The new has come. And Jesus says that the number one evidence that you are alive in Him, the number one way you can show people that you have gone from death to life, He said is that you love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We can say all the right words, tell amazing stories of faith, but without love, all people hear is noise. We can know all there is to know about the Bible and theology. We can be full of wisdom and have faith to move mountains, but without love, we have nothing. We can give and serve until it hurts, but if we don't do it in love, it's fruitless. Paul tells us the greatest things we can possess are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. God through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, He has triumphed. He's victorious over sin, over death, over hell and the grave. He has won, and we can have faith and trust in Him, our victorious King. And through that saving faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can not only be victorious in this life, we can have hope for the life to come. We can have hope that none of these things will make us victims, that none of these things will destroy us, that we will live forever victorious in the presence of our Creator and Savior, and that we too will even someday experience resurrection. But in the meantime... We can experience transformation right now. Our hearts can be transformed by the love of Christ as we love others, as we serve others, as we share the gospel with other people. We can demonstrate to this world that we have crossed over from death to life. And if they put their hope in Jesus Christ, if they admit their sins, believe in the living Jesus, and confess Him as their Lord and Savior, they too can be transformed. They too can go from death to life and life forevermore. Have you done that? Have you done that? Do you know in your heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life? Have you acknowledged, have you admitted your sin and your need for a Savior? Have you put your faith and trust to believe is more than just up here, it's in here. It's putting your trust, not in your goodness, not in your knowledge, but in Jesus Christ's perfect sinless sacrifice and His resurrection from the grave. You put your trust in Him and you ask Him, to come into your life and forgive you and to give you the power to live for Him, the Bible says in that moment you will be saved. You are born again. You're no longer dead in your sins. You are now alive in the kingdom of God. And if you've never done that, I invite you in just a moment to come this morning. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. I would love to help you know that you are alive forevermore in Christ. And yes, someday this body is no longer going to be able to contain that life that's within you and your life will burst forth from it and ascend to heaven to be at God's side. But Jesus is coming again, and He's going to give you a new body to live forever on a new earth with Him. Is that good news? Amen. Amen. Let's share that good news. 
If you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a responsibility to tell other people this same good news. You have the responsibility to tell them that Jesus is victorious, that victory is available to them, that they can have hope for now and eternity, and they can be transformed by the love of Christ today. Let's stand together and let's pray. And whatever God has laid on your heart, I pray you will come this morning in faith and obedience to Him. Father, we love You and thank You for this good news, for the truth that this life is not all there is, that there is a reality that is beyond our sight, and it is every bit as much, if not more real, than what we experience today. And it is forever. And it is good. And it is glorious. And it is full of grace. And Father, that should not only give us hope for the future, that should give us power for today to live as victorious Christians, to love as people who have been transformed by the Spirit of God, to make a difference in this world for people whose souls are eternal so that they can join us forever in Your glorious presence. God, may we be stirred in a new way with a fresh burden on our heart to go into this world and to share this hope that people so desperately need. God, may we be obedient to You not only in this moment and whatever decision we need to make, but in the steps we take as we go out these doors. It's in Jesus' name.